This is lesson number three of the Life Health Audio Lessons for your insurance exam. And this is going to be an introduction to insurance part two. It's about 30 minutes in length. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, feel free to write me a note, franz at insuranceexampodcast.com. I'm hoping you're finding these sample lessons useful to you. Now let's get on to the lesson. Hello, welcome to this lesson entitled Introduction to Insurance Part 2. We're just going to keep going, talking about insurance, about what um, kind of the basics are, some of the terms that you're going to need to know that are going to provide a foundation for what we talk about in the rest of the course. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first is indemnity. Indemnity is a concept that says that insurance should restore the person who has been insured to the condition that they had before the loss as much as possible. This can happen by the insured person receiving a monetary payment or by the insurance company providing repairs or replacement to make up for the loss. For example, let's say you have a car that's worth $5,000. You get in a car accident and the insurance company can either decide to give you money for a new car to buy one of similar value. They can repair your car so that it's at the same state it was in before the crash. Or they could replace your car by giving you a similar car so that you're back to the state you were before the loss occurred. And also that's just as much as possible. There's sometimes when it's not a possible to get exactly to where you were, but you can do your best. That's especially true in so medical cases. But uh, with things like cars or houses or things that you can easily place a monetary value on, it's a little bit easier to do. And this is also much easier to talk about when discussing auto insurance and other kinds of insurance where it's easy to, to assign a property value. It's a little different when you're talking about health insurance because the value of a life is the person's current and future ability to earn money as far as insurance goes. That's the value of your life. So when you're talking about life insurance, they calculate it based on your earning potential. For example, when a family's primary breadwinner dies, the life insurance policy will provide money to the family in order to make up for the present and future earning power of the person who died. Now, this allows the family to keep up the same lifestyle, the same standard of living, if you will, that they enjoyed before the death of the breadwinner. Another example is a person who has sustained an injury can be awarded money to help pay for medical bills or for lost wages that result from being injured. Those all fall under this category of indemnity, that the insurance company is trying to restore what was lost as much as possible. Let's talk about another term that's called subrogation. Now, subrogation means that a person who is paid for the loss of another is entitled to be reimbursed for doing so. Now, that just means that if somebody gets in a car accident, for example, that someone else's fault, the person who caused the accident can allow the insurance company to reimburse the other person the accident for damages. Another term I want to discuss is called limit of liability. It's not used in every kind of insurance, but this term is a limit to the amount of money an insurance company will pay for a particular event. 
So it's not going to be an unlimited amount. There's a certain limit. If you hit that limit, that's it. When talking about life insurance, you'll hear the term also face amount, which means the most an insurance company will pay out for a life insurance claim, so the for the earning potential of a person. Some medical insurance policies will call it a maximum lifetime benefit. Insurance companies just put this into place so that in the rare cases where something really catastrophic happens, that it's not going to tank their company. They have to say, okay, we will pay out quite a bit, but there is also a limit on any individual policy. That's just good financial sense and good fiscal policy. And part of that, all limiting their liability, is a term called a deductible. This is a pretty common feature of most kinds of insurance, except for life insurance. It helps offset the costs of insuring clients and keeps the overall premiums lower. It also means that people are maybe discouraged a little bit from making claims for frivolous things because they have to meet their deductible first, and so they really only claim on things that are more serious. So this deductible is just an initial amount that the insured has to take on themselves before the insurance kicks in and covers the rest. For example, you have an auto policy where you have a $200 deductible. Let's say you then you get in a car accident, there's some damage to your car. You, as the policy owner, have to pay the first $200 of that. And then the insurance company will step in and pay the remaining balance. Because you have this deductible, though, your monthly premium is going to be much lower than if you did not have a deductible. Plans with higher deductibles have lower premiums. There are even some medical plans that are specifically high deductible plans that provide really just for catastrophic coverage. So they've got a deductible of thousands of dollars. And then if something really bad happens, yes, you, you do have to pay a few thousand dollars, but then above that will be covered. So there's just all sorts of different kinds of coverage out there. And there's a similar term in specifically disability insurance that's called the elimination period, which is a number of days that a person has to have this disability before disability insurance becomes effective. So instead of a limit of money, it's a limit on time. For example, if a person is disabled for 45 days and the elimination period on their policy is seven days, the benefits would be paid for 38 days, which is 45 days minus the elimination period of seven gets you 38. And that's for a temporary disability. There's some disabilities that are permanent and that's another story, but for a maybe a work-related injury or something like that. Okay, now that we've covered about deductibles, limit of liability, let's talk a bit about coinsurance. Now, coinsurance is a common practice in medical insurance, which states that the insurer and the insured will share a predetermined percentage of the liability. So it's a little bit like a deductible in which that the insured person has to take on some of the responsibility, but it's also a little bit different. It's not a set monetary amount, so like $200 or $500 or $1,000. It's actually a percentage. For example, a medical plan might state that it's a 1090 plan. 
for certain kinds of care, which means that the insured, the policyholder, pays 10% of whatever it is that, that they're being charged, and the insurer pays the remaining 90%. If there is a deductible in addition to that, it must be paid first before the percentage plan kicks in. So if that's a little confusing, let's go ahead and just do an example that will kind of clear that up. For example, if a person has a $500 deductible and a 1090 plan, so 10%, 90%, and a $5,000 medical bill, the insured person would first pay the $500 deductible and then the 10% of the remaining $4,500. The remaining 90% would be paid out by the insurance company. So $5,000 bill, you pay the $500, there's $4,500 left. So you pay 10% of that, which is $450. And then the remaining $4,050 will be paid by the insurance company. Now, especially in medical insurance, coinsurance helps keep costs down by helping people think twice about medical procedures and having them shop around, finding lower cost and different methods of medical care because they have to be on the hook for part of the cost. So they want to find the cheapest option possible so that their part is as small as possible. And medical care can be very, very expensive. So that's why this is such a common practice in medical insurance. It helps also keep down on small frivolous claims that might sap an insurance company's resources. If they're just constantly paying out for little things, then it's going to be harder to stay solvent and people's premiums will have to go up in order to compensate for that. So nobody wants that. So it's kind of a good way to strike a balance. Now let's talk about the six types of insurance. The first is property insurance. This kind of insurance protects against damage or loss of property of any kind. Now this can include your home, but it can also include other buildings, equipment, and stock. Say you run a small business, you can get insurance on the building where you run your business, the equipment that you use, and the inventory that you have. So that's all covered under property insurance. It's not just homeowner's insurance. Next you have causality insurance. Now this type of insurance protects people against legal and financial liability, such as when you're driving a car. If you, while you're driving the car, cause an accident, that is covered under causality insurance. That includes death, injury, disability, or damage to property or to other people. So auto insurance is the most common kind. So like if you got in a car accident, it could help pay for the damage you caused to someone else's car or the medical bills for somebody. But there's also crime insurance, workers' compensation, and others. So workers' compensation being something happens at work, then you are all liable for that, and then the insurance kicks in. The next type is life insurance. Now, life insurance protects against human death, but not only death, but also disability or dismemberment, something that causes a change in your quality of life. It's meant to protect families and businesses against the loss of present or future income by a person and also to help to pay for someone's funeral or burial expenses. Unfortunately, 
these expenses are quite high, and without life insurance, many families would not be able to properly afford kind of the last rights. Another kind of insurance is accident and health or sickness. This kind of insurance, also called medical insurance, helps protect the insured against financial losses that result from sickness, injury, or accidental death. It can provide money to help pay for medical expenses, or it can reimburse lost income that results from sickness or disability. The next type are variable life and variable annuity products. This kind of insurance includes coverage provided by variable life insurance policies and annuities. These carry the risk of decreasing in value if the underlying securities decrease in value. So they're backed up by the securities, it could decrease in value, so it's a little bit different. And then last, credit. This protects the creditor against the financial punishments that occur if a person is unable to meet their obligations because of sickness or death. So if you can't pay someone you owe money to because of sickness or death, then this insurance kicks in. So once again, that's property insurance, causality insurance, life insurance, accident and health or sickness, or medical insurance, variable life and variable annuity products, and credit. Now there are also different kinds of insurers. So we talked about the different kinds of insurance. Let's talk a bit about the different kinds of insurers. There are three major ways that the American public gains access to insurance. The first is private or for-profit insurers. Then we have the private nonprofit insurers and the United States government. Now let me explain a little bit about what that each one of these means. Private life and health insurance providers hope to make a reasonable profit, so they fall under the category of commercial insurers. These commercial insurers are for profit. Stock and mutual insurers also fall under this category, so they're hoping to turn a profit. They take whatever extra money they make and they return it to either their investors or they pay dividends. They're hoping to make money. Organizations such as the Blue Cross or the Blue Shield operate on a non-profit basis. And so they're also called non-commercial insurers. Now this is done by returning any profits they make back to the consumers in the form of lower premiums or a greater range of benefits. So they're not paying out dividends, they're just trying to reinvest the money in order to provide a better deal for those who have their insurance. And the third is just the United States government. The government provides certain kinds of insurance, and that's going to category unto itself. Now, there are many subcategories of insurers that fall under the umbrella of these three major categories. The first is a stock insurer. A stock insurer is a group of stockholders, also known as shareholders, that collectively own the shares that make up a company. These shareholders elect a board of directors that governs the company. In this kind of insurer, the stockholders are not entitled to the dividends like other kinds of stock, and so the company is also known as a non-participating company. The second type of insurer is a mutual insurer. In this kind of insurer, there are no stockholders, 
but the company is owned collectively by its policyholders, who are also known as policy owners. Like the stock insurer, however, they also appoint a board of directors who runs the company. It's very similar in that regard. But unlike a stock insurer, the policyholders are entitled to the dividends that come when there's a profit. So they take the profits and they divide them among the policy owners. And these are paid out after all the claims are paid and all of the kind of overhead costs are covered. Now this company is known as a participating company. The stock one was a non-participating company because there's no dividends and the mutual insurer is a participating company because there are dividends. The next type is a reciprocal insurer. Now this is a group of unincorporated insurers, also known as subscribers, who have all agreed to help bear the risk of whatever comes up and then help bear the claims, depending on what type of insurance this is. Each subscriber has a separate account, and when a loss occurs to one of the subscribers, an equal amount is assessed from each account to help pay for the claim. This group is overseen by a person who's known as an attorney in fact. So this is just a different kind of arrangement that an insurance company can have. The next is a fraternal insurer. These are insurers that are also social organizations and are often involved in philanthropy as well. So giving out money to charitable causes. The members are also members of some lodge or organization. That's why it's a called a fraternal insurer. These are governed by special provisions in state insurance laws, and they do enjoy a few extra tax benefits, especially because of their charitable work. One thing they do differently than other insurance companies is called an open contract. Now this means that they are allowed to charge now, this means that they are allowed to charge additional emergency premiums in extreme circumstances. So if something really bad happens, the open contract allows them to charge an emergency premium so people have to pay a little bit extra money because of that catastrophe. Another is called Lloyd's of London. This is not actually an insurance provider, but it's a place where people can meet to transact insurance business. So it's worth mentioning. Then there is one called a reinsurer. Now these are companies that are unique because they provide insurance to other insurers. This means that some insurers transfer some risk to another insurer to help protect against the possibility of an extremely large claim coming due that will exceed their financial resources. So they want to stay solvent, so they decide to take out an insurance policy on their insurance policies. The one insurance company who is giving away the risk is known as the seeding company. That's C-E-D-I-N-G, seeding company. And the other is the reinsurer. And there's two different kinds of reinsurance that are offered, the facultative and the treaty. Now, facultative just means that the reinsurer must accept or reject each individual opportunity to share risk. So they, they have somebody who goes through and says, okay, we're going to take that one, but not that one. So it has to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. But a treaty one means that each risk is automatically shared. It doesn't have to go through this vetting process. The, it's just automatically shared. The next type are excess and surplus lines. 
there are some really unusual risks that are not covered by regular insurers. In this case, the person seeking a policy must go to a specialized excess or surplus broker who can attempt to find a policy for them to cover this unusual need. For example, in many insurance policies, in a homeowner's policy, floods are not covered. So you have to go to a specific broker and say, okay, I want to find an insurer who's willing to insure my property against flood damage. There's certain areas where this is especially common, and so you need to do that. In this case, you probably have to pay an additional premium on top of your regular premiums in order for them to assume the risk of flood damage because flood damage can be so catastrophic it's hard for the insurance companies to want to take on that risk just as part of the regular policy. The next type is called a risk retention group. Now these are groups of members who work in a similar field who have agreed to share risk and liability, though it may be in a somewhat limited form. And this is overseen at the state level. Next we have self-insurers. Now this is just a term for a company or individual who sets, aside who sets aside funds to cover losses by themselves. They are retaining certain kinds of risk because they see an advantage in doing so, or they are not financially able to make other arrangements. So this, for example, is if an individual did not buy a typical medical insurance policy, but instead set aside some money in order to pay for medical expenses themselves, then they are called a self-insurer. And there's some people that are self-insurers because they cannot afford to pay the premiums of a normal insurance company. And finally, we have the United States government. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of insurance that the United States government provides. So it's a, there's a variety of things that it does. And there's various programs that these include Social Security, which is a something that workers pay into, and then when they're older, it helps them keep some of the income that they had when they were working uh, throughout the rest of their lives so that they can enjoy a better standard of living. We have unemployment insurance, which helps people who've lost their jobs also have some income while they're still looking for another job. Disability, which helps people who've become disabled also have some income so that they are not destitute. And we have insurance for federal and military employees, so people in the Air Force, in the Army, in the Navy, or who work for the federal government. The United States government provides insurance of various kinds for them. And then we have special kind of insurance for special catastrophic losses, such as the effects of a war or crop failure for farmers. So sometimes farmers can be reimbursed for some sort of crazy event that causes them to lose their livelihood. Now, these duties are shared between the state and federal levels, so it's kind of a complicated system, but these are just some of the ways that the federal government actually provides insurance, or and the state government as well. So once again, those that's quite a long list. We have stock insurers, mutual insurers, reciprocal insurers, fraternal insurers, Lloyds of London, reinsurers, excessive and surplus lines, risk retention groups, self-insurers, and the United States government. 
when we're talking about kind of categorizing insurers, we can also talk about their point of origin. Now, this is just where an insurer is located. And there are three different categories that insurers can fall into. First, we have domestic insurers. First, we have domestic insurers. These insurers are located in the state where it's incorporated. So if it's incorporated in Alabama, then it's also located in Alabama. It's a domestic insurer. Then we have foreign insurers, and these are just ones that are licensed to conduct business in other states other than the one where it's incorporated. So you have one where it's incorporated in Colorado, but it can also transact business in Utah and Wyoming and some of the other surrounding states, for example. Then we have what's called alien insurers. And now these are just insurers incorporated somewhere else than the United States and its territory. So insurers from Canada, um, insurers from Mexico, somewhere else. So that's known as an alien insurer. Those three categories refer to the point of origin. So you can talk about they're one of those preceding categories like a mutual insurer, but they're also a domestic insurer. So those are just two different categories that you can put an insurer in. Also, when talking about insurers, we can talk about the type of distribution systems that they use. Now, these are the ways that they get out their products to the public and try to get people to sign on for new policies. These include independent insurance agents. Now, these agents sell the products of several different companies and either work for themselves or for another agent. This agent is allowed to place his business in the care of another agent when the policy expires, if the agent believes this is best for the client. So this agent is independent, doesn't work for just one company. He or she sells a variety of products. So that's one way that insurance companies can contract out to get their business done. The second are exclusive agents. And these are also known as captive agents because they only work for one company. And most of these time, and most of the time, these kind of agents work on commissions. So every time that they sign someone up for a policy, they get some money as a commission, as a reward and an incentive to sign up as many people as they can. Then we've got general agents, also known as managing agents. Now these are kind of supervisors for exclusive agents. So they, they work for one company and they've got a team of other agents under them and they hire, they train, they manage it's this team of exclusive agents in a given geographical region. So let's say it's a bunch of agents that work in around the Oklahoma City area or something like that. And this agent often also earns income off of commissions from his team. Then we have direct writing companies. Now these are companies that employ salary-based agents who do not receive a commission on their sales and do not directly own the business they are transacting. That just means that so they work for one company, but they're not, not paid a certain sum of money every time they make a sale. They just are expected to try to do their best to make as many sales as they can, and they're, played a, and they're paid a flat rate a salary. Now finally, let's talk a little bit about how companies get the word out about their different policies. The first is mass marketing. This is a way to get the word out to as many people as possible in order to drum up business. They want to find potential clients, and so they just blast it out in as many ways as they can. 
They have direct response, which is conducted through mail or email. They advertise in newspapers and magazines, through the internet, through television commercials, through radio commercials. Now, policies that are often offered in these ad campaigns usually have more limited benefits and low premiums as they're trying to draw in customers through mass marketing. They want it to look as enticing as possible, and so they just put it out there in all these different forms, and they kind of try to put their best foot forward. Then we have franchise marketing. And now franchise marketing provides insurance coverage to employees of small businesses and associations. And these are more tailored to meet individual needs. So there's one company, and the insurance company provides policies to everyone at that company or anyone who wants it at that company. And it's more tailored to the individual needs of the people who work there. These kinds of plans can save employees money, and the premiums are often deducted from paychecks of employees. And also, um, in this kind of insurance, the employer often helps the employee pay some of the premium. So that means it's kind of a benefit for working there. And then we have what are called producers. Now, these are a class of person that broker insurance deals, depending on whatever the state laws are. These can represent an insurance company or a potential insured person. So they're just kind of a go-between person who helps transact insurance business. The different kinds of producers like life and health agents, property and casualty agents, insurance brokers. So these are just people that act as kind of a go-between. Well, that concludes the introduction to insurance. That was the second part of that. You should now have a good idea of kind of the overview of the terms that you're going to need to know. And now we can jump into talking about a little more specifically the different kinds of insurance contracts and the ins and outs of insurance law, some other topics. Thank you for listening.